It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket live. We're trying something different today and we're doing a show while the cricket is still going on. Two matches well, they were technically supposed to be going on. The Bob Willis Trophy final at Lords between Essex and Somerset and also the IPL encounter between the Kolkata Knight Riders and the Mumbai Indians, two of the top teams in the tournament. Only one of those matches is still underway. Unfortunately, rain and bad light forced the players off early at Lords with Somerset 119 for four after 44 overs. So a slightly disappointing end to the first day. But there are five days available for that match. So uh, in a way... There's uh, plenty of opportunity to force that match to a conclusion. And uh, meanwhile, Kolkata Knight Riders are in the business of trying to chase down 196 to win against the Mumbai Indians in Abu Dhabi. Simon Mann's not with us today because he's taking his daughter to university, as you do in mid-September. But I'm delighted to say we've got a special guest uh, today all the way from India, where, of course, all the IPL players and coaches aren't because... The IPL is being played in the UAE and it's Prakash Wakanka, the experienced commentator. Many of you would have heard him on BBC Radio over the years. Uh, a very colourful character, very knowledgeable about the Indian game. And uh, Prakash, it's great that you've been able to join us today. Thank you so much for your time late at night in India. Tell us first, what has the Indian public in these very unusual circumstances, what has it made of this current IPL? As you may know and our listeners may be aware, uh, the lockdown is just about beginning to sort of find a little bit of easing out. Uh, there's hardly any any outdoor sport happening. The, all the public places are, are shut. There's no restaurants to go to. And as a result, people have been waiting for the IPL to come on. And I think it's already had absolute record audiences. So to that extent, I think India is uh, grateful that the IPL is happening and the people in India are just enjoying it and, and enjoying every moment of it. 
But I suppose you're, you're not able to actually, uh, I mean, a lot of India, when the IPL's on, people are out in bars and restaurants. And I remember um, N.P. Singh, who's the, the sort of commercial boss of Sony, who had the, the rights for many years before Star took over, he said to me that uh, he noticed, you know, in the early days of the IPL, that lots of restaurants were, were offering deals where you could watch the coverage in the restaurant and sort of get a cheap meal at the same time. And he was quite annoyed about it because quite a lot of these restaurants hadn't paid their uh, satellite fee or their subscription or whatever to be able to, <laughs> to watch Sony. Yeah. But but at the same time, he thought, but, you know, it's sort of buying into the IPL economy and our coverage and they'll be watching the adverts and all that. So it was very much, it, it is very much a tradition, is it? it's a sort of social thing to go and watch the IPL, which now you can't do. Yes, you can't do now, but you'll remember that in that same vein, uh, three or four years ago, the IPL Governing Council also introduced what they called fan parks, which was actually uh, setting up giant screens in small stadiums or, or parks or playgrounds around the country in smaller cities and actually having a massive audience there uh, coming, coming out and watching. So, yes, it, it's become a family outing or a family picnic, if you want to use that phrase, though it may not be apt at 11 p.m. at night. But indeed, in many ways, it's uh, it's been a bond uh, that's brought the family together. And as I think in the early days of T20 cricket, when, you, when it began in England, I think the whole idea was to get the family out together, wasn't it? And I think in many ways, uh, places like India are showing that that is very much doable. Uh, this year, of course, is, is an exception for... Uh, reasons which are uh, beyond anyone's control. So I suppose, in a way, the IPL has, has come at a good time for, for India because you're all locked down, there's no sort of social activity going on. So this is something to get excited about and, in a way, maybe something to escape. Because, in a way, before the IPL, Bollywood was, was the big thing, still is the big thing. And there's a sort of escapism about Bollywood but there's a there's a consequence of escapism about the IPL for the for the man in the street or the woman in the street too. There certainly is, and and, and you know it, it's a well known fact, uh, Simon, that the three uh, sort of major passions for Indians in a general sense are uh, Bollywood, cricket, and of course then then the the aspect of food. Uh, if since food outside the house isn't a possibility at the moment, it's the other two, and and as you know well. The IPL in many ways combines parts of Bollywood and cricket because some mm. of the teams are owned by film stars. Of course, again, this year you don't have those many visuals of them, but I'm sure they'll turn up as, as things go along. Preeti Zinta or Preeti Goodenough, as she's now called after her marriage, was there for the Kings Eleven game. Shah Rukh Khan is expected, not for this one, but for the next KKR game, I'm told. Uh, so there is that whole glamour mix, uh, which makes for a heady combination. And I have to say that some of the sponsors and, and commercial terms, which teams which are involved with the IPL are doing their best to innovate. I mean, you've got these giant screens, haven't you, that we've seen on television where uh, select individual fans are, are sort of being projected out on the screens. Uh, they're doing all of that, multiple contests running, lots of fantasy leagues running, being rewarded with, with all kinds of freebies. So, yeah, the, the, the commercial bandwagon, if you will, uh, has actually taken off yeah, uh, as a rolls result on. of the IPL. <laughs> it rolls on, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, listen, I, I, yeah, one yeah. of the things they have added, of course, is the uh, 
the, the crowd noise, which they've bun, really taken to the nth degree in, in the IPL because there's, there's quite a lot of screaming and so on. So we're not going to actually have that, but I'm going to add a little bit to this podcast of uh, crowd noise, but more sedate crowd noise. This is the sort of the Lord's hum that's been familiar to the uh, uh, watchers and viewers of uh, cricket over the summer on Sky Sports. Uh, not quite the, the the hysteria that you get at an IPL game, but actually, well, thank. I was going to I was going to say I think actually one or two people have got slightly fed up with the the slightly extreme crowd noise that you get at these first few IPL yep. games. But but I guess in a way it's an it's an evolving process of trying out different things. It's challenged us all to to find different ways of covering the game and giving the viewer or the listener uh, a bit more of an experience maybe over time they'll tone that down, do you think? Well, they, they better do because I'm one of those who's, who's very irritated. I mean, look, to be honest with you, uh, sometimes uh, silence is not so bad. Uh, stump microphones are there anyway. Uh, the commentators do a great job uh, telling us about the game. And I think everybody realizes what it is. So if there's something that is the music in the stadium or whatever, that's fine. That comes through the the FX microphones, that's perfectly okay. But to actually overlay this and, as you say, take it to that level where individual names are being chanted by an imaginary crowd of 50,000 or 70,000, maybe a bit much. But, hey, who knows? Uh, their research probably telling them that it works for them. It's interesting. I mean, I suppose looking back at that, that match yesterday, it was, a, it was an exciting game between the uh, Rajasthan Royals and the cult, the um, the uh, Chennai Super Kings, Chennai Super Kings. yeah, and a very high scoring game, uh, thirty three sixes in it. Dhoni <laughs> hitting a few at the end of the innings, which was sort of academic, I suppose. Do you think sometimes Indian fans, you know, sort of spectators, get fed up with the relentless sixes, or is it actually something that they've always wanted? Well, well, Simon, I think I mentioned this to you when we were chatting a little earlier in the afternoon today. There is only one six that most Indians uh, remember and try and forget every single day of their lives when you think about the Sharjah cricket ground. And that was the six that uh, of the last ball of an ODI that uh, uh, Javed Miada hit of Chetan Sharma. Uh, the other hundreds and hundreds of others, including Tendulkar's Desert Storm uh, innings in that series against Australia in Sharjah, I think get forgotten. <laughs> but yeah. uh, yes, the, the number of sixes at Sharjah came in real contrast, didn't they, to the Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai stadiums, which are obviously much larger grounds, where you felt that the bowlers had a chance. In, in Sharjah, you just get the feeling that the bowlers are on hiding to nothing, really, hmm. because uh, miss hits, half hits, bottom, bottom of the bat strokes, uh, they're just carrying over the ropes as if they were you know, in a boxing ring, so to speak. And, and that's really, really going to be hard. I don't know if everyone's going to play equal number of games, but that could well determine net run rates and who knows what else when it comes to the playoffs. I'll tell you an, an interesting story about Sharjah, actually, the Sharjah cricket ground, because I got a, an, an extraordinary letter from a retired RAF airman about 10 years ago, I suppose. And he said that he, he must be quite old now because he said he was stationed in Sharjah in 1943, during the Second World War, as a an RAF pilot, mm-hmm. and they had nothing to do. 
I, I'm not even really sure why they were there, but they were on this uh, stationed on this airfield, which was pretty much deserted. There was no activity. There was no obviously no fighting. I think they were supplying some forces to Egypt or somewhere, but they they weren't really doing a huge amount. And uh, this this guy was was a cricket fan, and so they started. Uh, sort of mucking about with with uh, a bat and a ball on this on the runway of this disused or, or little used airfield, and uh, eventually, you know, one or two of the sort of senior officers sort of got it got interested and started to uh, to join in, and eventually one of them said, "Look, you know, we need a proper pitch here." So he said, "I'll I'll summon a, a bit of carpet from somewhere." So he got from the officers' mess mm-hmm. in another part, I think from some maybe Dubai or somewhere else. He managed to get a, a long piece of carpet, 22 yards long. And they laid that down to, uh, to one side of the uh, air, the runway and started playing quite serious games. And that evolved eventually into a league, and uh, where, where mm-hmm. and, they, and they created things wow. like they got the local workmen to get loads of paint pots and put them round as the boundary and they created a sight mm-hmm. screen out of wood and so on and, and built a really proper ground and it, 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 this league started and that was on the site of the Sharjah cricket ground as it is now which is sort of almost one of the oh, well, at the moment remarkable. one of the one of the centers of of the cricket world really with the IPL being staged there and you know so much cricket activity is now going on in in the UAE there is absolutely, and and you know I remember the uh, what is it ninety eight thereabouts ninety seven ninety eight when India and Pakistan used to play fairly regularly in Sharjah, Abdul Rahman Bukhater, uh, sort of the chief patron, putting it all together. Asif Iqbal, I remember, was actively involved with Mr. Bukhater, and if I if I remember right, there were pictures there of uh, almost a concrete strip in the middle of the stadium in the in much earlier, much before the nineties with a matting on it and the rest of the outfield was turf because they still hadn't worked out how to get the wickets sorted out and it was only sort of in the in the early part of the 90s i think that the work began and then through the 90s uh, Sharjah became one of the first sort of if you will neutral destinations mm. for for cricket to be played yeah uh, quite quite an interesting period of time that was um, and india and pakistan were playing very regularly then which is one of the things you miss in this IPL. Uh, don't want to get into any any trouble here, but the fact is, not having Pakistan cricketers in this league just takes a little bit of sheen away, because there are some brilliant ones there, and it'd be great to have them and complete the complement. It's only the first year of the IPL that we had Pakistan cricketers playing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And in fact, you know, one or two of them played a prominent role. There was Sohil Tanvir, who actually hit the winning yes, runs absolutely. in that that first. Uh, IPL for the Rajasthan Royals, winning it off the last ball, of course, and and many others uh, played played a role too. Uh, this match, seventy-one for two. Now the the Knight Riders chasing the one nine five. They're sort of starting to fade a bit at the moment. Ten overs gone, and only a run rate of seven point one, seeking that one hundred ninety-six to win. So you feel they need to do something fairly soon to try and get up to close to this to this target, one hundred twenty-five. From 60 balls, talking sort of unexpected things, um, and and you know the, the, it throws up sort of quite unusual situations. Uh, the IPL and I liked uh, yesterday seeing Tom Curran and Sam Curran playing together. Yes. you know, playing against each other. Uh, Sam, against each other. Yeah, yeah. Playing, Sam, Sam playing for Chennai and and Tom playing for the Rajasthan Royals. And I don't think you know they played for Surrey uh, together many times, but I doubt if. 
they've ever really too often played against each other. Maybe in the big bash, but I, I, I suspect not. So this was their first encounter against each other uh, in this IPL. There's an LBW shout and a wicket there to the uh, Mumbai Indians. That was the leg spinner. I didn't actually see who bowled Char. that. Uh, yeah. Ch Ch now, he's new. I That's don't know Char. Uh, Deepak Chahar's uh, brother. Deepak Chahar, yes. Uh, Deepak so, Chahar's brother. So right. Deepak Chahar's brother. Deepak is the one who bowls seam up for Chennai and Chahar is the leggy. Yes. Uh, who's his uh, his cousin, actually. But uh, it was just interesting to find out what Tom Curran thought of his encounter with his brother. So let's just hear a little bit of what he thought about it. It was really strange. I guess we sort of always just played together, haven't we? It's sort of throughout age group stuff with Surrey when I then obviously started playing for Surrey and Sam came in um, you know as the youngster you know obviously trying to try to help him out and then he settled in pretty quickly found his feet and then with the Lions and then England so we've always just you know tried to help each other out and played played with each other so to end up yeah, playing against each other was yeah, it was a strange feeling it was a different type of concentration really trying to see him see him running up there were a lot more things on my mind than usual for those first couple which um which was strange but yeah i would have liked to put him into the stands for a couple to be honest <laughs> i was disappointed i didn't was it, i didn't was, put him in the stands. <laughs> was there any um, chirping between you or was it all quite respectful no there was a there was no i wouldn't say chirping but there was a bit of a bit of banter um I thought so. The, the last ball I faced, I think he tried to east. Well, he did. He tried to bounce me actually, which is surprising because he had square leg up. So and I wish I'd actually stood still. <laughs> so I recognised my chance to put him into the stands, but he was getting his getting his yorkers in. So I tried to put him up and walk down the wicket, but I think he, um, yeah, <laughs> it was good fun. We, we definitely had a laugh about it afterwards. But um, yeah, like I said, I would have liked to put him into the stands for one. He, uh, he certainly got the, um, the, the, the the bragging rights anyway, Tom Curran, after the, the match was won by the Rajasthan Royals yesterday. Owen Morgan has just come to the crease and got beaten, actually, by Rana's leg spin there. And uh, lucky to survive. There was a bit of a thought of an LBW appeal, I think. But um, Tom, Tom and Sam are just fantastic competitors, aren't they? And I, I know, actually, from talking to their mum, uh, Sarah, the, the, the wife, of course, of uh, uh, Kevin Curran, who, who played for Zimbabwe mm -hmm. for, for many years and sadly died, but but she uh, has spawned, or he, she and Kevin have spawned three boys who all play professional cricket, the other one uh, also playing in county cricket, and uh, they're just so ultra competitive. Even she used to say when she had them all round for Sunday lunch, when they'd come back from their disparate games, you know. Uh, if she asked, say, one of them to go and pick a few apples from the orchard or from the, you know, from the bottom of the garden, they'd all rush out together and see who could get the most, <laughs> you know. So, so there is just sort of competitiveness flowing through the current boys' veins. Yeah, absolutely, and that was very evident in, in the in the little encounter we watched yesterday. But just coming back to this game for a moment, how many times have you seen? Uh, Owen Morgan in recent times beaten four times consecutively, and that's what Char has just done, mm. uh, in, sp in, in spite of attempting the reverse sweep and what have you. I think this is the first time he's actually connected and gotten off the mark. Morgan will have to play a, a, a absolute blinder if, if KKR are to get anywhere near. This mm. is 
probably heading towards being the most one-sided of the four games that we've seen so far. Yeah, that's that's a good point because actually the games have been close. There's been a super over already, hasn't there? And a, a win off the last ball and or, the, or in the last over anyway. That that game yesterday was always going to be probably Rajasthan Royals, but the. Uh, the Chennai Super Kings had a good fist of it towards the end. And actually, it's one of the things I think I really like about the IPL is the fact that I know people think it's contrived. I know a lot of English people here think that, that the IPL is a bit of a fabrication and how can you support teams that didn't exist 12 years ago and so on. But one of the great things about it is because all the players are jumbled up every three years and every team has the same amount of money to spend, a salary cap, which I think now is $12 million, it means that all the teams kind of pretty much start equal and you never know quite who's going to win. And so, firstly, five of the eight founding teams have won the IPL. Only one of them hasn't got to the final. I think that's Delhi daredevils now delhi uh, capitals and capitals. also yeah and also um th- th- you know games go do go to the wire and uh, i think 30 percent of the games last year went to the last ball or the last sorry the last over at least so you know it, it is uh, if it it, it it is maybe sort of fantasy cricket in some ways and it might seem to some people a bit sort of vulgar but actually, it is beautifully packaged and unpredictable sport. It certainly is. And, and I think the, amongst the other positives, look, the purist is never going to uh, like anything uh, that's, that's not played in white clothing and played, on, uh, played, played over five days. And, and, and one can understand that because I think those of us who sort of follow cricket will all agree that Test Match Cricket has its own unique place and nothing really compares with it. But when you think about T20 cricket and these leagues and the IPL in particular, for a country as large as India, what it has done is it is, amongst many other benefits, has given an opportunity to a host of younger players who otherwise would probably never have been noticed, might have just made their own sort of state sides in the Ranji Trophy played a few games, four or five games in a year, really, at a national level, and that would have been their career. But what it has done, it has allowed a lot of them to come out, not just on a national stage, but on an international stage, compete against the best, learn from the best. And I think that is one of the reasons why uh, India particularly, and many other countries around the world that, where the leagues are played, are being able to throw up talent at a pace which may not have been the case seven, eight years ago. Yeah, because it, it is uh, producing players from... So outlying cities, uh, whereas probably, I mean, you know, you know, obviously better than us, but, uh, you know, sort of 20, 25 years ago, most of the players uh, for India would have come from the big cities. Whereas now uh, I was noticing mm-hmm. that the young bowler Mavi uh, comes from NIDA, for instance, yeah. which isn't a traditional home of cricket, I don't think, is it? Um, looks like a, another wicket well, here, by really. the way. Um, Karen Pollard has just dismissed yeah. Rana for 24. So three down, the Kolkata Knight Riders and Owen Morgan not making much of a fist of it at the other end. Six not out, but he's, he's miscued about. He's, he's already used up a lot of energy. So uh, Kolkata Knight Riders not doing too well here. With the pitch a little bit sticky. And uh, he's caught at deep cover there, Rana, as he sliced one uh, into, the, into the night sky. Good catch by Hardik Pandya there on the boundary. Um, sorry, so you know, so looking at that 
that that overall picture of Indian cricket, it's drawing on those second and third tier cities, I guess. Very much is, and and to your point about Shiva Mavi, well, Noida actually is uh, is one of the three sort of satellite towns that make up the national capital region. So amongst the sort of non-traditional cricketing centers, Noida would be least non-traditional because it's so close to, to Delhi. But if you think of some of the others, you think about Yashashwi Jaiswal, who opened the batting, uh, or you look at Rutraj Gaikwad, who played but got run out or stumped first ball for Chennai, or Padikal, who got a 50 on debut in the IPL come from very, very small towns in the state of Kerala, Uttar Pradesh and and Hyderabad and, and Andhra Pradesh respectively. And they've all sort of come up through the ranks, moved to, to the closest city, uh, have stories which, which are absolute novels or, or stories that you could write, uh, write books on uh, in terms of fairy tales of, of success coming out and making it big. And I think that's been one of the most heartening aspects of the IPL for me personally, because cricket, as you know, Simon, is a religion in India. And what this has done is it's probably added uh, somewhere between 10 to 20 times more avenues for uh, potential talented cricketers to be spotted on a global stage and for them to let their bats or ball do the, do the talking as opposed to the olden days where somehow I think it was important where you came from and who you knew and which club or which team you played for. And that's become much less relevant now. Uh, I remember the first ever time in my life I came to England uh, on, a, on a little tour from, with, with a club from India. Uh, I, was, I was asked in my very first evening, because I was in the tube and I was wearing a blazer which, which had the name of the club. An old gentleman sitting next to me uh, had been to India many years ago. So he talked to me about... Uh, how is it back? Uh, how is it back there now? But the there was a lady sitting to the right of me, and she actually said, "Tell me, young man, is it actually true that you can still run into snakes and tigers on the streets of India?" And this is <laughs> 1984. So, wow. yeah, yeah. not too bad. No, Stories you, and legends. You know, I I did hear a true story yesterday actually that somebody in Wales uh, getting uh, limestone uh, some paving done. Uh, their child, their three-year-old, five-year-old child came running in and said, there's a snake in the garden. And uh, the, the parents were a bit sort of, what, a snake in Wales, you know? And they went outside, and apparently it was a very, very venomous viper from some wow. somewhere in, I think, Africa, North Africa or somewhere. Uh, it had got there because it, it got caught in a consignment of limestone delivered from overseas ah. to, uh, uh, to, to, be, to be doing the, to, do, to do this garden. So... Uh, it was actually a, a true story of a venomous snake in Wales. Uh, but anyway, uh, that, that's a slightly irrelevant story. Um, talking of venomous, well, I suppose he's not a snake, but he's certainly venomous, is uh, Jasper Brumrose bowling at the moment to Andre Russell. <laughs> this is the kind of duel that you really do salivate over. Uh, Russell is backing away, trying to smash Bumra back over his head. Bumra's fielding him off his own bowling and threatening to throw down the stumps. Rohit Sharma, who made 80 earlier in typical elegant fashion, is, is clapping away. We just should, should watch this little encounter here. 79 for four Kolkata Knight Riders chasing 196. Bumra bowling and down the leg side a slower ball. Uh, Russell backs away a long way and gets a sort of leg by or half a bat and half a pad 
down to fine leg, a bit of a sort of tame little poke at the ball. Uh, it's cat and mouse, isn't it? When Russell is batting, um, he's really only thinking about the leg side, I suppose. But he's so ridiculously strong. And, and it, 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 no, it's, it's not cricket as we we grew up watching, is it? Uh, either of us, but in the sort of 1970s no. and 80s. But, but it still is cricket. <laughs> It definitely is cricket. It's just of a different kind, uh, and and I, you're absolutely right. I mean, you you don't want Bumrah and Russell in a boxing ring together. That would be a no contest. But when you've got 22 yards separating them and two skill sets, which are slightly different, it makes for a very exciting contest. But this game's not going going anywhere near no. what KKR would have liked it to. Simon, this looks like it's going to be a question of by how many. Rather than well, it does, I suppose, but I mean, all these teams sort of think to themselves, sixes, a few sixes make all the difference, and you can you can catch up very quickly. I, I suppose they are. There's a long way to go here. 114 or 44, even you feel that's even beyond Andre Russell and, and Owen Morgan. He's just been hit on the in the stomach, and the ball ricocheted onto the stumps and didn't knock the bales off. Uh, some bizarre cricket actually today. Uh, uh, one or two other kind of quite. Strange incidents, taxing the umpires. Yesterday we saw an umpire give somebody out, caught, and then uh, the ball didn't carry to Dhoni. They reviewed the catch and gave it not out, and then it turned out that the batsman was LBW. That was Tom Curran, actually. So um, That's Morgan, it was. <laughs> Morgan getting in all sorts of trouble here with a short ball from Bumrah. How the ball didn't knock the bales off. Well, I've seen this happen a few times and it's partly to do with the rigidity of the modern stumps. They're made of kind of carbon fibre rather than wood and they don't vibrate in the same way as wooden stumps. They're stuck into the ground because they've got stump cameras embedded in them. So uh, they're much more rigid. So that's one of the reasons why... Yeah, remember the... Yeah, remember the, the Australia World Cup game at the Oval mm. uh, in, in, the, in the World Cup where David Warner, a uh, very similar thing happened. Uh, I think it was Bhuvaneshwar Kumar and, and Ricochet off the pad went and hit the stumps almost like at a proper pace. And there was a little jiggle on the bales, but they stayed in place. So, yeah, it's not the first time. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's, it's just the, the modern, uh, modern equipment. But just looking at the fluency with which uh, Owen Morgan was playing back in, in England and the troubles that he's facing here just tells you uh, how different it is, isn't it, Simon, mm. to be able to, yeah. to move and adapt even though you've actually been actively playing cricket, even for someone of his ability. It's, that's very true. Uh, and it, he, he likes the ball coming onto the bat, clearly. And, and England have always struggled, actually, to bat in... Abu Dhabi and Dubai and places like that, English players. I, I'm not quite figured out why, because, I mean, the pitches don't do a huge amount. They don't spin wildly or sort of break up or anything, but the ball just comes off at a slightly different pace. And in that last over, Morgan was through his shot a couple of times to those short balls from Jasper Brimmer. It's funny, but, you know, you wouldn't think that England has some of the quickest pitches in the world. You'd, you'd think that... In the past, it would be Australia or, or perhaps even the West Indies from the 1980s. But it's true, actually. England now do, does have some of the quickest pitches, somewhere like Old Trafford or uh, even actually mm. the, the Aegeus Bowl. Uh, you know, the ball comes onto the bat really probably better than perhaps anywhere in the world, except maybe at the Gabba or in, the, in Perth, where they've still managed to, to, to maintain the quickness of, of the speed of the pitch, even though they've moved stadiums. 
new stadium. And maybe that's what, uh, uh, you know, uh, Pat Cummins couldn't make the adjustment to because he was one of the uh, people that everyone was looking forward to. I think particularly the, the KKR fans saying we've got the most expensive buy of the of the last auction. And uh, what happens? He gets plastered for like 49 of three overs because I think the length that he was bowling just allowed Rohit Sharma and, and Surya Yadav to just keep plonking him over mid-wicket into the stands. Well, that's a, that's a uh, really good point. To, again, to prove the point that adjustments, yeah. Mm. No, that is a very good point. And I, I was going to bring up that thing about Pat Cummings because one of the uh, other things that's quite interesting about the IPL is that, you know, a lot of money is spent on, on these players and, you know, players earning two million. There is uh, Andre Russell trying to smack it over long off and, and not really making any contact, ball going hitting high up the bat and uh, only plopping out for a single on the offside. So it's 83 for four in the 14th over. So way off the, the target, 113 quite off 40. But um, it, it does show actually a couple of things. It, it, often you find that the big names and the big stars actually get found out and don't perform quite as, uh, as expected. Um, Someone like Chris Gale can can be hit and miss, uh, obviously. Although he's got the most sixes uh, ever hit in in the IPL, through over over three hundred sixes, I noticed uh, he's hit. Whereas uh, Rohit Sharma's only managed two hundred, I say only. But 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 not not only that, do, do some of the star players don't necessarily succeed as perhaps their price tags suggest they should. But but also um, you you get a, a situation like Pat Cummins, such a successful Test player. And and his game based on relentlessness of his pace and persistence and hitting the top of off stump and suddenly playing on these slower pitches, Rohit Sharma's just picking him off that slightly short of a length and you know walloping him out the ground for six. Yep, and big ones too. I mean, they weren't sort of. And, and as we said before, uh, this is a large cricket ground. It's not not one of those. Uh, it's not Eden Park or Sharjah for sure. So to that extent. It, it, it's uh, it's a proper cricket ground with with long boundaries, uh, but yes, I think adjustments uh, across the board are difficult. I wonder how hard it is. Just looking at some of the players on television, uh, we we can notice also the fact that in spite of their schedules to work out and you know training and what have you, uh, there's a few extra kilos going around on every cricket team at the moment, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how quickly people get into the sort of groove, if you will, and, and you know, dust off the rustiness and, and start performing at the ability at which these magnificent athletes are actually geared to and want to perform. Uh, do you think, Simon, that based on your conversations with folks who were playing in England, that this whole sort of bio-bubble in, in which these players live takes a different kind of toll in their ability to perform on the cricket pitch? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question. And in fact, it was MS Dhoni was saying, wasn't he, the other day that, uh, you know, he he felt sort of rusty, really. And the Chennai Super Kings, whether they were using this as an excuse, I don't know, but they, they had an extra bit of quarantine because some of their players were COVID positive. And so they had an extra 14 days where they weren't able to do the sort of practice and preparation that they probably wanted to. And so, you know, maybe they were caught a bit short yesterday as a result. I think um, it, it, I think it's a mental thing uh, more than a physical thing. Obviously, the, 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 the intensity of the test series we had this summer in England without crowds, of course, uh, was impressive. You know, the, the quality of the cricket was great. I think, you know, by the end, the players were really ready to 
to get to, to go home though because they, some of them hadn't seen their families for a long time and being sort of cooped up in the same hotel uh, day after day with the same people endlessly and eating the same food from the same tables often facing the wall because you can't uh, you're not supposed to sort of interact yes. with anyone and you're supposed to have distance and so on yeah I, I think it was pretty tough actually and um, th- this uh, scenario in the UAE at least some of the I mean I, I was told today that the Rajasthan Royals I wanted to get uh, Andrew McDonald, the, the, their coach, on, and I'll get him on at some point. But uh, I was told today that the Rajasthan Royals are having a day off at the beach. So, you know, that's mm. the advantage of being in the UAE is that at least uh, there, is a, there is a sort of some of these hotels have beaches right next door and, and, and obviously they can relax. They've got their families with them in some cases as well. So it's a bit more normal, perhaps. Morgan playing well here. He's just hit a big six off James Pattinson and then pump one down the ground here so he's he's trying his best but 105 off 35 does seem a tall order um what else yeah, has, well, what else has cropped up i mean i i heard you on um bbc uh, last month talking about ms Dhoni when he'd announced his uh, retirement from international cricket yes. and uh, i mean you know he's he's amazing though isn't he he's still up for it in this and he did take a bit of time to get going yesterday uh, towards the end of the inning sort of dropped himself down to number seven but then he hit three sixes off three balls at the end I mean he he still sort of got it hasn't he well you look at people like him you look at people like De Villiers uh, and and you wonder uh, you know what is it that keeps these guys going Uh, what is it that their athleticism their hand-eye coordination and most importantly their desire, hmm. uh, and and you heard uh, you know De Villiers say uh, after his game and after his knock that you know he just felt uh, that yeah it was all coming out well and and he was enjoying it. You you just looked at uh, at McCullum, who's the coach of Calcutta Knight Riders. He might actually have to get into the playing playing eleven <laughs> if, if KKR yes. don't don't start performing soon. So so it's remarkable how how well these guys have. Uh, are able to do things. And, and of course, when you're Mahindra Singh, the, the reality is, I think he's found a unique way, and maybe that's just the nature of the man, to deal with all the pressure. We talked about all the pressure that people like Tendulkar and others carried throughout their cricketing careers. I think what MS was able to do was he carried a different kind of pressure because it was uh, almost as if he was the torchbearer and the inspiration for this young India. Uh, as it sort of became a little more assertive and, and fa- went about finding its own place in the world. And to that extent, I think he's, he's done far greater service than any sportsman because he's given the opportunity for so many young boys and girls in all parts of the country to believe. Mm. So, yeah, it was, it was a poignant moment in time. Mm. And, and you had to, and Dhoni had to do it his way on Instagram. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And uh, I mean, you, you made the point as well, or we, we, we've talked about this before, actually, as uh, Andre Russell goes for a huge hack and slices it over backward point. So he's starting to, to get motoring. He's only got 10 from nine balls, but certainly he's starting to swing his arms uh, with some intent. Uh, it's 100, just coming up for 100 for four now, Kolkata. So still needing uh, nearly 90 to win from about five overs. It's pretty much a remote possibility. Uh, but but, but D- Dhoni, uh, his, his career almost perfectly parallels or mirrors the, uh, the, the swelling, the, the growth of the Indian middle classes. 
So has he been a sort of torchbearer for what um, the lower middle class people can achieve? I, I think it's it's fair to say that, uh, but but it's also just as much as he's probably representative or torchbearer, whatever you want to call it. I think it's also been uh, that whole process has actually helped people like Dhoni. I mean, if if the if the Dhoni story had begun, let's say five or seven years before it actually did, uh, I'm not sure he would have had the same opportunities and the same kind of success. Uh, for starters, I don't know if he if he would have been spotted playing in a small town like Ranchi. I don't know if, if the coal fields would have actually picked him up or the Eastern Railways would have given him the job of a ticket collector and so on and so forth. So the ifs and buts are there. But when you look back today on his time, you're absolutely right, Simon. It, it kind of coincided with the what I would actually call is the growing confidence of the middle classes, the, the belief in, in people that they could uh, explore the world, explore the country, explore careers. You didn't have to be only an engineer or a doctor or, or, or a chemist to be able to be something in the country. Uh, the software revolution, the the whole digital piece, and India in under whichever leadership beginning to sort of assert itself on the world stage. All of those things and the economic dividend uh, all coming together were, were things that I think are representative of what Mahendra Singh Dhoni has been to India, but that's also been replicated across sports. So you look at, you know, things like archery and hockey and, and tennis, and now you've got a surge of young people coming through from different parts of the country in, in each of these disciplines. And, and that can only augur well for a nation which, believe it or not, has one individual Olympic gold medal. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, what an amazing opportunity it could be if uh, the uh, cricket could eventually get back into the Olympics. I say back because, of course, it, it was an Olympic sport in 1900 where the, the UK team beat the French team, which was largely English, uh, in a, a, a final. That perhaps is the final nail in Kolkata Knight Riders' coffin as Bumrah clean bowls Russell, seeking to hit that one over the stand at uh, Abu Dhabi and missing. Bumrah's such a clever bowler. I mean, he's been bowling at both Andre Russell and Owen Morgan, two of the best one-day batsmen in the world. He has figures of one for three from 2.1 overs. So he's bowled uh, 13 yes, balls, gone for three runs and taken a wicket. And he's sort of opening his hands there as if to say, well, there you are. What do you expect, really, uh, to, uh, <laughs> to the world? I mean, that, that, unfortunately, I think is the end of the game. 100 for five, Calcutta Knight Riders now, still needing 96 to win from four and a bit overs. They're taking a timeout. So uh, that's a, a little pause in which perhaps we can just, um, looking at the IPL in a little bit more detail, I mean, I, one of the things I find sort of fascinating about the change in India, really, and I've been coming to India for, or going to India for, I don't know, 40 years, is that when you, when you drove around India in the 90s and you know, even maybe in the early 2000s and those massive billboards were up showing um, Bollywood stars and, uh, you know, film stars were drinking Coca-Cola and things like that. And it was very much try selling the kind of idea of fantasy and the movies and, you know, escape your fairly sort of ordinary life for a couple of hours watching a great movie or drinking a Coke, I suppose. Whereas now, when you drive around Indian cities, you've got adverts for interiors and beautiful apartment blocks and makeup and you know, uh, hair products and things like that. And, and interestingly, 
the sponsors of the Rajasthan Royals this year are sanitary towels, aren't they? Nine, which is yep. a, a, a yep. sanitary towel. They're trying to draw attention, raise awareness about women's periods. I mean, what an amazing change yes. in society. Indeed, indeed. In, in that sense, there's been a, a whole movement from uh, convert uh, raw material and export raw material out of the country, let someone else manufacture it to a situation where manufacturing in India, now the whole services uh, industry picking up in terms of hospitality, uh, greater awareness. And I must tell you that in the last eight or nine years, uh, this, this government has actually taken up certain issues which all of us have always wondered why uh, they haven't been a priority. I mean, you've come to India, you say, for four decades, Simon, and, and you know that much as we, we may talk about the good things, the general level of public hygiene uh, has not been something that, that India has been able to fix. But in the last two or three years, in particular, uh, both local and federal governments, there's been a tremendous focus on it. Just, just the amount of construction of public use, uh, the, the whole area of, of women's sanitation uh, and health, uh, like you mentioned, the, the sanitary towels as, as, a, as a sponsor, or, for example, equal representation for women in, in corporate life or, or on, on management boards of companies. It's all beginning to, to resemble and re sort of resonate to convey a more aware, attempting to be a more egalitarian society. It's going to take generations for that to happen, as you know. But there are these movements which are, are beginning to spawn. And I think that can only augur well because... To, great, to have great sports people, I think you can have a, a much better chance of that happening if you have a, a healthy society and vice versa, one feeds off the other. And to that extent, if, if we can get off our, uh, our rears and actually get out and start part participating in sport uh, at a young age, bring it into curriculums, uh, a lot more coaching across multi-disciplines, not just cricket. I think the, the opportunities are, are immense. Mm. A new batsman has come to the crease, Nikhil Naik. Uh, his birthplace yeah, plays for Maharashtra. Is, plays for Maharashtra. His birthplace is Sava, Savanwadi. Savanwadi. Savantwadi on the, on the coast uh, just north of Goa. Okay. Uh, about 120 kilometers north of Goa. Mm. And, and he's just another one of those, those people that we're talking about where you know, ordinarily, uh, you would not have assumed that he would be getting such a platform and, and good for him that he is. Hmm. Yeah, Boomerang one for four from 2.3 overs. It sounds like a, <laughs> a test match, uh, the bowling figures Unbelievable. there. Unbelievable. And uh, Mumbai Indians at this point, after 15.3 15 .3 overs, 148 for three. Kolkata Knight Riders 101 for five. Pretty much, if Morgan gets out, they can kiss this game goodbye. And I think he is out. He's just been caught behind. Umrah across right. the, angling across him, Morgan with a big swish, trying to drive it over extra cover, and he's departed for 16 from 19 balls. Umrah now has two for four from 2.4 overs. Beautiful symmetry in that uh, bowling statistic, and uh, that really must be pretty much the end for the Kolkata Knight Riders, 101 for six. Uh, we, you know, we were talking about the great bowlers and, and well, great players uh, that, uh, that have been attracted to this tournament, Prakash. And I was finding it. I always find it interesting to, to to see what they they want, what they seek 
out of the IPL, what they want to get out of it. And um, I chatted to Steve Smith, actually, this time last year when the tournament was in a more normal circumstance, obviously being played in India. And uh, I was in Jaipur and I just watched him batting for about two hours, practising before a game. And so I, I thought I'd ask him afterwards, you know, what drew him to the IPL? And, and he, he came up with quite a lot of different reasons. And believe it or not, he didn't wen- mention money once. So just have a listen to what he thinks are the reasons why the IPL is, is very useful for him. Training and playing with the best players around the world, learning off them, how they go about their business, how they prepare, playing under Pressure, um, I learned a lot about that. Um, playing as an overseas player, you know, there's only four of them and sometimes you've got some, you know, some quality players sitting on the bench behind you as well um, that could be playing in your spot. So playing under pressure, particularly in front of, um, obviously we know India is such a, um, you know, cricket mad nation, absolutely love it. And it's a great place to play, um, but fans, you know, just, just get stuck into the game as, um, you know, they, they, got, they come through the gates in huge numbers and you're playing so many back-to-back games, you, you face lots of um, similar scenarios. So say one day you, you need, I don't know, 50 or 30 at the end or something and you, you stuff it up, you don't quite get there. Um, you know, you might be in that same situation again um, two days later and you can sort of think to yourself, right, what did I do the other day? That wasn't right. You know, maybe this time round I'm going to look to, to hit this bowler or hit this guy with the wind this way or, um, you know, just, just sum up the, the scenarios. And it's great that you're able to play so many back-to-back games against quality oppositions and be able to, I guess, learn how to play under pressure. So I think also training, um, training in the... Uh, in India, um, sometimes you face some wickets that are a bit tired, and um, you can learn and, and get a feel for, you know, facing a spinner. Which which ball's going to skid on? Which one's going to spin? Um, you know, I think it certainly helped my my playing of um, of spin bowling in those conditions. And yeah, it's just a a great learning experience. You can bat for hours and hours in the nets, and um, I guess that's one of the the best parts of of being in India. There's so many um, quality young bowlers that that want to just keep on bowling to you and while they want to do that I'll continue to face them (laughs) and and doesn't he too he absolutely does capitalize on that uh, that opportunity he he, well he's a sort of practice uh, addict anyway but uh, yeah I mean just watching him the way he goes about the the preparation for these games and he played well last night actually didn't he after Really, not doing yeah. much at all in England, and and having that sort of concussion issue, he was he played in his inimitable way extremely well yesterday, and sort of anchored the innings. He did, and and we've been talking about some some young talent, and you saw uh, Sanju Samson Sanju the Samson. way he batted. Mm. I mean, not too not too many people can put Steve Smith in the shade, but uh, as long as he was there, he was really playing some brilliant cricket, and 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 he can't find a slot in the Indian T Twenty team. Uh, so that that just gives you a sense of of uh, what kind of uh, talent and capability exists in the in this sort of uh, uh, Indian cricketing arena, if you will. Mm. And and the IPL is a perfect stage for people to showcase it. I, I remember when the when it first started, there was a lot of concern about whether it would mean that the techniques would go haywire and would would five day games no longer last for five days and so on and so forth. 
But I think what it's shown, as indeed has to T20 cricket around the world, that some skills have actually become sharper, haven't they? Mm. Because of the needs of the format of the game. And uh, of course, players who are, who are great at, at playing good, authentic cricket uh, are, are good at T20 as well, because mm. they're just good cricketers. Simple as that. Another wicket goes down. And it's not, not much left now in this game, really. No, that was Nikhil Nayak who just holed out to mid-wicket uh, and Hardik Pandya took a, a fairly simple catch off Trent Bolt. So Mumbai Indians really dominating in this match. And do, do you see them as the favourites, Prakash? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's because it's being played in the UAE uh, and, and there isn't the, the traditional home in a way format, I think. To be honest with you, uh, Simon, I think that this is probably one of the editions where the teams, as you said earlier in the program when we were talking, are probably very, very well balanced. And, and really, uh, I don't see a clear favourite. Uh, Chennai have been hampered uh, by the absence of people like Harbhajan and Suresh Rena. Uh, Mumbai have always been a contender, but they've just won their first ever game or will win their first ever game in the UAE. In, this is the seventh attempt. Uh, in the first six times they've played in the UAE, they've always lost. Uh, so Mumbai will always be in the mix. I think Calcutta will come back. They've got a very strong side as well. Uh, RCB are resurgent. Mm. Uh, it's not often that you see them uh, as well equipped. They've got their bowling, I think, a little bit better this time, in spite of Michel Stark's late pullout. Uh, I think the side that appears a little bit weak to me is actually Sunrisers. They seem to have very, very good uh, uh, batting prowess, but I'm not so sure that they've got the the bowling mix right, but we'll only wait and watch. So mm. I don't think Mumbai are necessarily favourites. Yes, Mumbai and Chennai, as the two teams that have made the playoffs most often, will probably be in the mix, but I'm actually putting my money on one of the three northern sides making it to the final this time. That's Rajasthan, Kings Eleven, Punjab, and Delhi Capitals. Yes. At least one of those in the finals. I wonder if it's going to be uh, down to where they play because there are very different uh, scenarios, really. There's a good shot there from uh, Mavi. He's pulled one away from Trent Bolt for four, but it's all a, a bit academic, I think, with Kolkata Night Riders 112 for seven. Um, the the, um, the Sharjah pitch, and clearly Tom Curran was talking about this after the game yesterday, a lot of dew and the second innings tough work for the bowlers also with very short boundaries so that explains why you know you need a big score if you're batting first in Sharjah to ensure victory there but then on these other grounds Abu Dhabi and Dubai much bigger playing areas maybe slower pitches sometimes there's dew and sometimes there isn't very hot isn't it 40 degrees at, at times I, I you know I wonder if yep. it's if it will depend on you know if and, and I suppose it'll depend also on the the range of bowling options you have to adapt to the different conditions which which is what a tournament should be all about I suppose in a way, yes. And I think, you know, teams which have uh, a good spin uh, department, yeah. I think, may well find themselves uh, playing a much bigger role as the wickets get older because they're obviously limited number of strips on which all these games are going to be played. So teams like CSK, I mean, we haven't seen Imran Tahir play yet, for example, uh, may well uh, come, in, come into their own. Uh, sides which don't have a strong spin department may actually struggle. And the point you make about playing in these venues is, is, is so true because 
Uh, you saw the other day in the first game that 160 proved to be a very close game. Um, and here, you know, 216 yesterday, except for Jofra Archer going completely berserk, might have been a much closer game than it turned out to be. And here at the same ground now uh, in Abu Dhabi, uh, where the first game was played, we're finding that 195 is is a very, very comfortable win mm. uh, with KKR just not getting anywhere near. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're just looking at the... Uh, so you're right. Yeah, so just looking at, talking of sort of uncertainty and unpredictable outcomes, last year, three teams ended up on 18 points. Mumbai Indians, Chennai and Delhi all finished up on 18 points after 14 games. So these teams, there's not much to separate them, really. And that, that, that keeps it interesting. <laughs> Pat Cummins is doing his best to completely maul uh, Jasper Brumra's figures. And he's done that with the second six off this over. It's so annoying, actually, when you, you've done the, done the hard work and got the two big wickets and uh, two for four you've got. And then suddenly it's about two for 24 from a couple of blows from... <laughs> Pat Cummings getting his own back on the uh, Mumbai Indians team after being mauled himself. 59 from three overs, I think he went for. Was it 49? Certainly yeah, a lot 49, of runs. 49, 49 runs. Three. Yeah. So, uh, no, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, this game is, is, is sort of petering out. I, I mean, I, I, I've done a book, uh, a new book about the, this whole thing. Um, it's called A New Innings, uh, written with Manoj Badali, the owner of the Rajasthan Royals. And yeah, it's, 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 it's just changed the whole dynamic of, of both the cricket economy and the calendar, really, because all the players now want to play in this tournament. They're pretty much every one of them has, has put it down. In the, the, the first thing they put down on their, their calendar is, is the IPL and how they can try and get into the, to the auction. And uh, it, it generates a third of the money in the world cricket economy, $600 million out of about 1900 So it really has become an incredible sort of feature of the global sporting calendar in the space of, of 12 years. And what we explore with this book really is, you know, is how it works economically, how they've managed to get the, 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 the broadcasting rights so expensive uh, to... $2.5 billion paid by Star for five years of, of covering this tournament. And then that means that the private investors are happy because they can uh, get a bit of profit from the, the money that they've put into the tournament. It means they can buy, uh, they can spend money on players as well and, and support staff and, and really um, go into the nth degree and the greatest detail in terms of, uh, of making this show the best cricketing show on, on the road, and some people don't like it, I know that, but there's no, there's no um, stone unturned to try and make it as good as it possibly can be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, right? I mean, there are, there are business leaders, there are uh, political leaders around the world that one may like or not like, and yet if they are making an impact, you have to acknowledge that they are making an impact. Uh, and, and what you've said, the stats that you've talked about, uh, absolutely true. Uh, we'll definitely look forward to to having a read of the book one of these days when things get a little bit better. And I think the the book makes its way to India. I don't think it's there yet, or maybe it is. Uh, well, yeah, but I think it's making is, its way. It's making its way. Yeah, it might be a little slow getting here, but we will get there. Uh, but to your point about what the IPL means, I mean, it's it's so true that you know even even the women's game now. Uh, everyone's saying that, you know, if there is a proper 
women's version of the IPL, it will help the women's game. And that can only be good for the game of cricket if more and more people get interested. Uh, talking about the, the economic impact of it, we've already talked about how lives are being changed. In fact, there's a little joke that goes around India often, which says if the IPL, uh, you know, was, was uh, if, if people who were sort of changing their lives as a result of the IPL, let's say building a new house or buying, buying a new house or whatever, started putting on the names, there would probably be uh, over, over 250 uh, IPL homes dotted around the world because so many people have been able to make a distinct change in their standard of life or uh, have, have sort of been able to create a little nest for themselves because the reality is a sportsman's life is, is never unlimited uh, and, and can be cut short by bad injuries here or there. And so if economically it is helping the cricketing fraternity in general, uh, I think it has to be acknowledged as a positive thing. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. And uh, Raoul Dravid uh, has a quote in, in my book, um, or our book, I should say, uh, which, in which he talks about the, the great victims of cricket. And he says that there, there were so many people he knew who played Ranji Trophy. So sort of, you know, they were professional players, but, but only paid a small amount of money. They didn't ever play for India. And at age 30, you know, they didn't get into the Ranji Trophy team anymore. So they were back in club cricket, maybe coaching or something and earning very little and, and struggling to, to make ends meet, having given the best years of their life to, to cricket. And he felt that, you know, the, the, the advent of the IPL had given a lot of those people um, the opportunity to, to earn some proper money, whether as players or coaches or support staff or whatever. But it had created a new cricket economy in India, which was good, good for everybody. And, and I suppose it's become something now that you know, parents do take seriously as a, as, a, as a career path to their children, which they wouldn't have done 20 years ago. No, Absolutely. And, and you know what it's done is, is after the IPL, you've had similar professional leagues uh, come up across a, a variety of sports, table tennis, badminton, um, lawn tennis, um, wrestling, boxing. And all of these are, are doing for those sports people in, in different scale, of course, but doing uh, the same kind of service or the same kind of opportunities are getting opened up for people across sport and that can only be good for uh, for families for livelihoods and and hopefully to build a sporting culture you mentioned uh, you know the, the good it's been uh, the opportunity it's created for women as well um and you know women's cricket and so on in fact uh, there is a women's game going on an international going on at the moment between england and the west england indies. west indies yeah, yeah 98 for six uh, are England at the moment, so they're sort of stuttering a bit, having won the first game quite comfortably in this uh, short series of one-day internationals. Um, what about uh, women in women in Indian cricket? And there was talk about the, the, there being a sort of support women's IPL, and they've sort of trialled teams and, and a sort of shorter type of tournament in the past. But so where where are women's where is women's cricket going in India? Well, I think it's it's going very well. I must confess, in the last uh, two or three years, in particular, Simon, uh, the you know they've had two World Cup finals, the 50-over World Cup final in in at Lords against which they lost to England, and then the 20-over World Cup final that they lost to Australia at the MCG. Uh, so they've made two consecutive 
finals, albeit in two different formats. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, very, very talented girls coming through. A lot of young uh, girls now playing at the state level as well. Uh, the infrastructure that the BCCI is, of course, able to afford and, and provide, I think, is encouraging uh, women to come out and play cricket. And I think there will be between the 1st and the 10th of November, I hear, uh, the, the sort of mini IPL Women's League, where typically they create three teams and they play a little bit of a round robin, uh, which I think last year was, was in Jaipur, if I remember correctly. Uh, that will get played. Uh, and I think it's a question of now setting the calendars right so that it doesn't clash with hopefully the 100 next year happens in England, the WBBL, of course, in Australia. And then there is some version of an IPL where all these uh, international uh, women athletes or cricketers can come together and, and participate. And that can only be good for the women's game as well, because, again, it will give people the opportunity to participate to, to you know, commercial brands and so on and so forth that are, let's say, more focused on, uh, let's say, women-oriented brands. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be uh, insensitive to gender issues, just simply saying that, you know, maybe there are more cosmetic brands which, which may want to, to, to sort of support and sponsor those kind of uh, uh, sporting events. And that can only be good, again, for the expansion of the game because the only way we're going to ever uh, get cricket being played more and more is, is going to be if, uh, um, if, if more countries and more people in the world play it. And what is remarkable is that in many uh, ways, women's cricket is being played in countries where men, men in that country haven't done much. So if you look at Thailand that qualified for the Women's World Cup, if you look at uh, Chile and Argentina and, and Austria and Germany, I mean, these are countries which, where cricket is now actively being played by women. Brazil, uh, you never thought that, uh, that there would be cricket in, in these countries of any competitive order. And from what I hear from my friends in the ICC women's wing, the expansion of the game is actually getting a big boost from, from women's cricket. That's tremendous to know. Uh, and and in, in a way, again, it's probably sort of partly influenced by the IPL, which um, in the men's game now has there's 75 countries playing T20 internationals because the ICC realised belatedly that they needed to give all of these countries, uh, sort of associate countries, official status. And so you're getting countries like the Maldives and Serbia and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the countries in, in the... Uh, even countries like uh, the uh, well, Spain, Gibraltar, Gibraltar recently... Uh, played in a tournament uh, down in, in Spain. So it, it's a brilliant uh, expansion of the game that we're seeing. That has been, yeah, The I mean, IPL has been a got, catalyst for sort of thing, really. We've got to get ready for, for the Swedes to become great fielders yeah. because I just read the other day that John T. Rhodes has taken over the role of national coach right. for Sweden. So there you go. Yeah, we're go. actually trying yeah. to uh, oh, speak exciting to him. times ahead. Yeah, exciting times ahead. We're actually trying to speak to him for the Cricketer magazine for the next issue uh, to to talk about mm -hmm. his his role because you know that really is quite uh, quite a sort of step into the dark and a brilliant effort by Sweden to recruit John T. Rose. Well, we're just seeing the the last rights of this game. That, in fact, is the last ball. It was a stumping by Quinton de Kock uh, and the final wicket. Well, actually, the ninth wicket fell. For the Kolkata Knight Riders, there's one ball to go, but it really is a, a very comprehensive victory for the Mumbai Indians.
I think it's time for us to say goodbye uh, after seeing really a bit of a mismatch today for the first time in this year's IPL tournament. We'll be back to to do a, another one of these in two or three days' time. Prakash, uh, very good of you to give up your time today to talk to us from the depths of India, the dark depths. It's probably late at night there and all the streets are pretty dead, are they? Oh, completely. It's, it's uh, just coming up to be uh, a little 10 minutes past 11.30. So, yes, uh, on, a, on a good day, it, it may not have been looking so bad, but uh, nowadays 9.30 and I think everything pretty much shuts down, what little's open. We all live in the hope of uh, this pandemic uh, solving or going away in some shape and form, maybe a vaccine, maybe a miracle, I don't know what. But just take this opportunity to thank you, Simon, for, for having me. And wishing all our uh, listeners, wherever they may be, both now or later on in the podcast or whichever form, uh, please stay safe. We hope that, that you and your families and your loved ones are well and uh, wish, you, wish you Godspeed. Well, echo that. Uh, thank you very much, Prakash. And uh, just to say, uh, the next episode of this will feature none other than... Sir Geoffrey Boycott. I'm popping from one extreme to the other from looking at the IPL. I'm popping up the road to see Geoffrey in Boston Spa to find out about his life. Of course, he hasn't been on the airwaves much uh, this summer and uh, I've got, I'm sure he's got plenty to say. So I'll report back uh, later in the week. In the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed our little The Analyst Inside Cricket live at the IPL. Prakash Rakanka, thank you very much for your time. And thank you very much for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.